0: Optimization is a business term we're all pretty familiar with. Optimizing efficiency, optimizing profits. But what about optimizing your mental health? Dr. Dylan Hayes is a psychiatrist who has many clients who are senior business leaders. Dr. Hayes says many of them wrestle with difficult leadership decisions, and often the decision-making process is not, shall we say, optimal.
1: Very, very infrequently, if if ever, do we do we sit and ruminate for days and days on an intractable problem and have an aha moment, oh, there it is, just what I was looking for. Now I can stop with all of this and everything's solved.
0: Hi, I'm Irene Silber with the Vanguard Network. Dr. Hayes spoke with former public TV journalist Ken Stone at a Vanguard Dialogue about how to optimize your thinking process, which can lead to better business decisions and better mental health.
2: Let's start with this term that uh, I understand you like to use, and that's optimization. What do you mean by that?
1: So optimization in the context of what I do really refers to the idea that psychotherapy, um, psychiatry, um, you know, all of the, the kind of cognitive and behavioral techniques and methods that have, you know, come from, from that from the clinical field can be used not only um, in, a, in a clinical setting for people that are struggling with actual pathology, um, you know, which is what most people represent or, or think of uh, when, when they think of going to a psychiatrist, right? One is depressed, they're anxious, they're burnt out. And certainly you know that, that is the focus when someone comes in that kind of scenario, but, but the same techniques, the same methods, um, the same type of thinking that one uses to go from a pathological state back to baseline those same methods and techniques um, can oftentimes be used to then once one is at their baseline state to optimize right to 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 achieve more um to go beyond um and that that's something that i think is really coming of age right now in the field of psychiatry as the personal growth and and development fields kind of merge um, in a lot of settings with clinicians that you know in the past perhaps have only focused on clinical pathology
2: Talk a little bit about the leaders, uh, the C-suite leaders that come to you. I imagine some of them probably have imposter syndrome. It's like, how, how did I get here? I, I'm responsible for all these people. Why me? Mm-hmm. Is that something you see a lot and 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 how do you how do you work through that?
1: It is. it is. It, it, you know that that term is certainly um, used quite a bit now. I, I can't remember hearing too much of that term, you know, prior to, I don't know three to five years ago, but I hear it all of the time now. It's very popular. And I think it's very natural, right? I mean, some of some of these people you're talking about, you know, you know as successful as they are, you know finding themselves you know in charge of all of those people and, and and vast amounts of money. I think it's perfectly natural to have moments where you where you take a step back and question, well, how did I get here? Is there someone you know who's more qualified than me to be there? And typically, you know with with that type of thinking, it's it's really helpful, at least initially to get into what is used often in, in, in cognitive behavioral therapy, right? which is to it really, truly examine one's thoughts and the content of one's thoughts because because what is what what is often found is that you know a lot of our reflexive thoughts, especially those that are driven by emotion in times of high pressure and high stress, are extraordinarily distorted. Um, they they they're presented to us in our own internal narrative as as facts, kind of like rock hard, you know, rock solid facts, as, as one would expect to find in, in physic, physics and chemistry, right? But of course they're not. They're they're extremely distorted. Oftentimes people fall into the same types of distortions where they become prone to all or nothing thinking, or what we call the fortune teller prophecy. Uh, you know, where where one begins to tell themselves over and over again, uh, you know, and I shouldn't be here. Why am I here? I'm never. Go- it's never going to work out. I'm going to fail. Right again, things that are that are most often than not um, unlikely, at least in the near term, but, but are, are presented as as facts, really uh, uh, indisputable facts. And and once those are, are brought out into the open, once you shine a light uh, into those dark corners of the mind um, and examine them rationally, uh, they often don't add up. And, and that, that can that in itself, as simple as, as it sounds, can be an extremely powerful process.
2: Talk a little bit about burnout, which I have to think that many executives um, face, uh, particularly over the past few years, which have been difficult for all the reasons we know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so burnouts a, burnout's a big topic. It's an important topic for me. Um, it's something that I started to work on while I was you know still in, in training and my postgraduate training. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing with burnout, uh, for for me personally, is is moving beyond the topic of exhaustion, right? Because most people, when they think of burnout, um, usually stop there because that that is that is the easiest to, to to put together, so to speak. It makes the most sense. You work too hard, too many hours, you get burnout, you're exhausted, and and that certainly is an important component of burnout. But I think that they, you know. There are two, there, there, there are there other dimensions to burnout. And, and, and what come to mind first and foremost uh, are are this idea of cynicism, right? Uh, the, the kind of resentment that can build over time when one feels um as though they're not getting credit for what they're doing adequately, or they're, they're not they're not deriving uh adequate benefit from the from the amount of time that they're putting in or the work that they're doing. I you know, essentially that the contract is not fair, the terms are not adding up. Crucially, one of the most important things one can do to to think about such topics effectively is to have the conversation outside of your own head, right? So many people have these conversations with themselves all day long, right? Their their internal narrative, um, for all of us, the internal narrative is our constant companion, right? Our, Our greatest friend and our greatest enemy. (laughs) <laughs> um, at the same time, right? And, and unfortunately, as, as I alluded to earlier, extremely prone to distorted distorted narratives, extremely prone to exaggeration, to hyperbole, right? So so first and foremost, um, in order to, to analyze these issues objectively and rationally, there needs to be a little bit of space um, between the thinker and the thoughts, right? And so just right off the bat, bringing those thoughts out, outside of one's mind into an open discussion with with a third party is really the first and probably most important step to making sense of those, organizing those thoughts, and and then and then creating an action plan.
2: Talk about the importance of modeling. Any number of times you'll hear an executive say, "Oh, we have uh, mental health uh, services for you. You know, I want my team to be healthy, but they would never admit to the team that they've actually sought those services, that they actually go to therapy." So, talk about the importance of an executive or any leader modeling good mental health.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It goes back to the old adage, right? actions speak louder than words. Um, And I I think it is important. And, and, you know, ironically, I think a lot of those same executives uh, would probably be very open about the fact that they may work with an executive coach, a performance coach, Uh, could various consultants of sorts, right. The idea that you would, that you would lean on an expert um, in an area where you are not an expert uh, in order to optimize, right. Your own chances for success, for reaching your potential makes perfect sense in all of these other areas. And I I think, I think that at this stage, you know, in the, in the kind of development, you know, of our field, like I said, you know, kind of the merging of personal growth and development, self-help, if you want to call it that with clinical therapy, I, I think that those barriers are dissolving, and I think that um, I, I think it can absolutely be very powerful. You know, for for a leader to to lead by example in that area, uh, if, if it's relevant, if it's applicable.
2: What's the one takeaway you want people to have in terms of managing or leading
1: their teams? I think, think in terms of incentives, right? I think that I think that when when you're leading people and you're leading teams, and you're not getting the results that you want. Um, very rarely is it due to the fact that the team that you have, the people that you're leading, are not capable of working hard enough. Oftentimes, and this goes back to burnout, right? Oftentimes, that is a sign that there's an underlying issue, uh, in my opinion, with the, with a systems issue, um, with how incentives are structured, with how the, employ- the employee, the team perceives their work, with how they perceive uh, the future uh, Achievements and rewards that will result from their work. If something, if if the performance isn't adding up, um, to really think in terms of what's wrong here with this equation, right? Because oftentimes that that's a sign that people, uh, for whatever reason, and it doesn't mean that their perception is accurate, do not feel that that the arrangement works for them anymore. Um, And oftentimes, I think when when you approach that that question from from the perspective of incentive, right? Are, are these people incentivized to do what I want them to do? Um, if they're not doing what I want them to do, why not? Like, do, do they not feel they're being compensated fairly? Do they not feel they're being recognized? Do they feel that the work is meaningless? And that even if they do a great job, who cares, right? I mean, that's another huge component of burnout, um, right, that leads to the cynicism, like this idea that I'm working Nonstop, all day long, on work that is meaningless. Right, meaning that nobody appreciates it, nobody really cares. This this project was dreamt up in some kind of, right, corporate war room, completely detached from the real world. Uh, and and those those are the ultimate consequences. I think in those scenarios,
2: for the C suite leader, what's the one takeaway that you want them to take uh, from this conversation?
1: Less thinking and more doing. I think that oftentimes um, we. Uh, when, when stakes are high uh, and there's a lot of pressure, we ruminate, right? We worry. Those, those words are synonymous, at least in the way that I use them. Oftentimes we do that reflexively, right? And, it, and if you think about it, it makes sense. We have a problem, we should think about the problem. But the problem is that rumination is a trap. It doesn't solve problems. Um, v- very, very infrequently, if, if ever, do we, do we sit and ruminate for days and days on an intractable problem and have an aha moment? Oh, there it is. Just what I was looking for. Now I can stop with all of this and everything's solved. It doesn't happen. Oftentimes, the answers that we seek in overthinking come about organically through action. The best way out is through, meaning that you just get started. You get started the answers that you're seeking often arise organically because oftentimes they're dependent, they're interdependent on things happening preceding them, right? So you just have to get started and let things fall into place and, and, and remain mindful, remain open to that insight that is coming your way and, and get started. And I think that that's often very empowering when people hear that, right? This idea that that, that the rumination that causes them so much stress is actually uh, not helpful either, right? So, so, so that it, it should also um, be eliminated, not just because it's unpleasant, but, but it's actually inefficient. It's in, inefficient and unproductive. And I think that speaks to leaders when they hear those terms.
0: That was psychiatrist Dylan Hayes speaking with former public TV journalist, Ken Stone at a Vanguard Dialogue. The dialogue and this podcast are just some of the membership benefits of the Vanguard Network, which organizes events, publishes content, and connects C-suite leaders. Our mission is building high-performance leadership. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our website at thevanguardnetwork.com. I'm Irene Silber. Thanks for listening.